Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players proudly brought to you by Valan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players, social players, officials or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff and Henry, and we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. As people who love badminton, we all know that it's not just about the sport itself. It's about the connections you make and the things that it teaches you as a person that you're able to bring to all of the other parts of your life. That's why we want to introduce you to the book Mirror of Magico, written by Al Liao, a former Taiwanese national badminton player who is as passionate about badminton as us. For those who love Harry Potter, you want to give this one a read because Al has authored a fantasy story where three different characters with varying personalities go on a journey of adventure and learning. And they realize that things don't just happen to you, they happen because of you. And by being yourself and spending time in your dreams, you can conquer the evils and be the best version of yourself. So make sure you check it out. Mirror of Magico, written by Ao Liao. You can find it in all leading bookstores and we'll leave the link in the podcast description. So for everyone listening, today we are speaking to our first guest from Taiwan. Well, actually, he lives in Vancouver, Canada now. We're really excited to talk to him on today's podcast. So his name is Al Liao. He is a former Taiwan national team athlete. He's an entrepreneur and he has three businesses. He's an author. He is a badminton coach and business coach and has coached over 10,000 badminton students globally. He is a podcaster and a speaker a Grant Cardone licensee in Asia, and a screenwriter for the Jump Smash TV show. I want to give all the listeners in this podcast, the result is always, always you got to chase in. Become a professional athlete, you got to chase in your win. What is your next win? So if you have that win, you create the result, then you have something to talk but it's challenging and it's tough. One day, my dad called me after I lost the games. He said, no matter what, 21-0 or that you win the games, no matter what, we all love you. That's the biggest power. So at the moment I know, okay, there's something supported. So I just like push so hard and try to make it happen. So the biggest things my dad gave to me is you need to learn how to win when you lose. 
Uh, that is a very, very impressive resume. So welcome onto the podcast. Jeff, that was so amazing introductions. Thank you for having me though. Can't wait to get into this episode because there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven or eight, like really high level things that we can talk about here that, that you're doing and you've already done. But because this is the badminton podcast, we'd love to start from the very beginning about how you started in badminton. So what age did you start and how did you start playing the sport? Okay, that's good. So I started in badminton. I was compared to other athletes. I was kind of like late starter. So I started playing badminton when I was 10 years old. And the thing is this, actually I start when I was eight, but I stopped. Badminton is not my first sport. My first sport is uh, speed skating. I was really good at speed skating though. But uh, the reason I switched to sports is because the stadium was shut down. And then I liked to play sports. So one day my mom was giving me the rackets, just have some exercise with her. And then I just love it. So I started to have the coach and start from there. I didn't have the professional training until I got into high school. Yeah, so that's why I say that I, I'm a late starter. So it's kind of very challenging for me to keep up everyone around me when I was in the Bampton field. That's how I get started. Yeah, so I guess it's not really considered, I guess, late exposure to the sport. Al. You certainly was, were exposed to it in your earlier years because, I mean, coming from my perspective, I didn't know what badminton was when I was 10. So you certainly were exposed to it a lot earlier than someone like myself, but it sounds like you started training for it a lot later. In terms of high school training, how old were you when you actually started to take things a little bit seriously? And why did you decide to take things a bit more serious? Okay, so in Taiwan, is like when you start very seriously in each sport, I would say when you choose to the athlete pathway, that you probably can only focus on that. In Asia culture, probably it's like that. It's hard to focus on both academies and for the sports as well. So for me, I started seriously, it's when I high school, like got into the high schools. It's like full-time trainings, like four hours schools and rest was like training all days. That's how I, how I get started. And why I decided, I think it's because I really competitive. And when I was young, I already in the competitive, the sports already. I was athlete for the speed skating, but I think the most important thing for me to make this decision is I want to become an international players for the badminton. That's how I make a decision. I can start training like, you know, only that two hours and then school have like six hours a day. And then it's hard to give me the pathway, go to your international level. So I was uh, asking my parents, allow me to, to do this. That was a tough decision though, but I made it. Yeah, nice. Nice job. With like high school, so you talk about taking it seriously in high school and you're saying that you would be training, what, four, you say four hours per day in high school. For high school, it would be six to eight hours. That's when oh, I was like, training really, really seriously. But when yep. I was like gray, around grade eight, around there, I was two hours every single day for badminton. But the school's time is longer. Yeah. 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 So was that high school that you were 
at, was that a sports school specifically or are all the high schools like that in Taiwan? Yeah, so we do have a specific sports school. So it's like this, there's a schools, but we do have a class for specific sports. And then in our class is there's four different sports, but all of those sports is their athlete. So we only have a four hours each day for schools and then rest of the hours for training. So that's, we focus on the tournaments and those kind of stuff. That's how it works in Taiwanese. I think right now, even elementary schools probably start to change like this. When I was an athlete, elementary schools still kind of only train afternoon in the morning, go to school. But right now it's more seriously because this sport is booming in Taiwan. Dai Zuin and Zhou Tianzhen, they, they just, you know, it's booming right now. So all the schools, they take very serious right now. So what about other sports then? Are there the same opportunities in other sports to train as much as this during your elementary and during your high school? Or is it only badminton now because of Tai Ying and um, Chou Tian Chen? Yeah, so Taiwan have the, right now, badminton is kind of big sport as well. But when I was athlete, the big sport is baseball. Yeah, it's baseball. And I think tennis is hard like in Taiwan because all the good athletes, they got to train other countries like North America, but that's how we communicate with our friends. But right now the two big sports is badminton, baseball. Oh, there's one more basketball is, but in the international levels, basketball is not, not that high though, but it's still popular in Taiwan because yeah. of, I think it's because of Jeremy Lin. Ah, oh, yes. Jeremy Lin. I, I suppose that you, you kind of always need some kind of superstar to sort of to make bring, the yeah. sport, yeah, yeah, bring the sport up in certain countries, and that's sort of what's happened with Taiwan, Jeremy Lin, as well as Tai Su Ying and Chou Tian Chen, right? But I want to sort of backtrack a little bit because I was very interested to hear that you did speed skating. So, how is speed skating a popular sport? How, how did you decide that speed skating was a sport? I know there was a the stadium there that was available, but like in terms of knowing about that as a sport, how do you get to know about that? Okay, so I need to thank for my dad because that impacted me a lot. Because when I started, I started with roller skate and I was so good at that. I was so good at it. And the national, the national ranking I do have, like the top three in my age around like grade one, two. So I'm kind of, the mindset you start to think about everything is so easy for you. So I know at the time I was kind of a little bit cocky. So my dad trying to use other way to get me to learn how to lose. So the biggest things my dad give to me is you need to learn how to win when you lose. So the first things what he gave me is you got to learn how to lose first. So we just transit to the ice speed skating. When I transform roller skating to the ice speed skating, you got to lose all the games. <laughs> first right so that's how i do that and it's not really popular but it's because there's an ice speed skating coach talked to my dad as well said if you opportunity then you can you know that your son to do this and my parents was discussed with me i said i sure because at the moment i think i can do a roller skate and i think i can do the ice speed skating as well so that's how i make a decision to change it that yeah yeah. Okay. But then, of course, the ice speed skating venue shut down, you said, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So that was in my city. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So then that brought you to badminton, which is obviously a sport that you've played for many, many years and you're still heavily involved in badminton. So let's take it from your high school years now when you decided to go to the sports school to take it very seriously, to train your eight hours per day and not so much studying anymore. What's the pathway from the high school then? Like, how do you get recognized to be in the national program or how do you move from when you finish high school and you get to that age? What's the pathway to get to international level? Oh, that's tough, man. Like, yeah, so this pathway is really tough for me because I'm late starter and uh, I'm the first guy when I went to the high school, I'm the first guy who can only train with the girls because I couldn't keep it up with the guys. And uh, I just commit to myself because I decide to become an athlete, then I'm going to go to the international levels. So I train, I kind of start to do the math. That's I. So I say I missed the junior this three years, like grade eight to grade 10 this three years. So if the eight hours a day, then that means they can calculate the numbers over there. So how many times and how many hours I need to put into it when I was high school. So I started following my schedules. In high schools, I come up with one idea, no matter what you do, I'm going to do 10% more than you. So even we do have a team match, they run one laps, two laps, three laps. I got to do like five laps more than you. So I commit to myself that when I graduate from these high schools, I'm going to be the best in the schools. That's how I get started. And it's really tough because I didn't have a break. And my high school is not in my hometown. I live in the city of Taichung, which is the middle of Taiwan. And then I was studying in the, the Kaohsiung. I don't know if you guys know the Kaohsiung, but it's a, it's a south of Taiwan. So I moved to there and then start to train every single day, even the weekend. I didn't take any break for that because I don't have time. I only have three years to see if I can make to international level or not. Only three years. That's so tough for me and so much pressure on me. The first year, I didn't get really good results. I was the second teams. The second team's like this. It's like, it's a reality. The second team is like, coach can give you a training plan, but you have choice to decide whether you're going to do it or not. Because I would say in Taiwan, it's not really important on the teams. The team is a team one, team A, right? So because they can get the achievement for the schools, that's the coaches they focus on. So I just keep thinking about how can I get there first? And I remember when I was grade 11 in the national high school tournaments, I kind of performed very, very well in that tournaments. That's a transition that I have the opportunity to start to train with the team A. That's how I get started. That's how I get started. But the reality is this. I want to give all the listeners in this podcast, the results is always, always you got to chase in. Become a professional athlete, you got to chase in your win. What is your next win? So if you, chase, if you have that win, you create the result, then you have something to talk. Yeah. So that's how I get started. But it's challenging and it's tough. Listeners, take it from someone like Al who has a, has been able to achieve such great things with badminton and take that learning and then try and apply that to, to your badminton lives out there. Whether or not you are a social or competitive or professional player, I think Al's sharing some really wise words here. I really like how you 
took a mathematics approach to what you needed to achieve there with calculating the hours hours required and, and putting in the extra 10% effort or 10% more just to work out how much you needed to catch up essentially to these other players who at the time were better than you, of course, objectively. I, I want to take it back to something you said earlier in that piece was that you had to play with the females instead of the males because you couldn't keep up, right? So how did you feel about that? Take me through the process because you were a young man at the time. Obviously, a lot of young men, including myself at the time, a lot of ego. And when you're being forced to play with females who, from a physical standpoint, obviously, they're not quite as strong, generally speaking, compared to the male players. So how did you take that as, as a young man? Okay, that's in the beginning was so frustrated because I was start to... There's kind of a wrong concept here. So when I started, I was so frustrated and because I started to compare to others. But eventually in that transition, I started learning you not compete to others or compare yourself to others. It's you. It's you. So that's how I come up with the 10% effort. And when I start to have that mindset transition, I start to really focus on where I am right now. Like today's, okay. I'm going to do this training and where I am, what level I am right now and how, like, did, did I move forward? So did I move even closer to the guy? So I start to compare this and then just think about my next win at the moment. My next one is I'm going to be in the guy's team. <laughs> that's the most important things. So that's my goal. And then I think I, it took me, oh, let me see probably half year to get into and the process to do that transition is around like two months because that's it happened right away when i was getting to the high schools it happened like coach would say oh like when the teams gather and then coach announced what we're going to do i'm the only guy trained with the girl hey, okay oh you're gonna go with there i say okay yeah again <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Okay, but you were able to work out. I, I think you find that it's such an internal learning game, right? You being in those situations made you look into yourself and work out what the solutions were, and obviously that's helped you in your career because you are not always given everything, right? You weren't always given this top level. You weren't always given the best people to train with or the best environment or all the good circumstances. You were coming into badminton professionally at a later age. You weren't training with the people you would like to train with. And then you had to battle to get into the team one so that the coaches will have more focus and attention on you and help you more. So, and then you competed well at the nationals, you said, and then you were able to train with the team one. So then is it, is it a better story from there or is it still a lot of challenges along the way when you were getting into the national team? Getting to a national team is just so challenging. Like in Taiwan, you got to get into a national teams. It's like this, it's like the first pathway. In Taiwan, we do have two national tournaments every single year, even right now, every single year. Everybody, if you are a Taiwanese, then you can join that tournament no matter what age you are. Daizuin, she joined that tournament when she was grade six, when she was grade six, yeah. And that tournament, everyone joined when you start, it's, I would say like B-levels player, every, everybody. But your goal is trying to move up to the A-level. And how you're gonna move from B level to A level is you get a, let's say for singles, 
it's your top two, the top two, which is the champion and the second place. Only these two people can move up to A level, and it's a single knockout. So even you play in, get into the semifinal, you lost, which has happened to me. You lost, then you gotta wait half year and come back again and restart. So that's a tough. If you want to get to a national, that's the first win you gotta do it. That's the first things. Once you get into that, doesn't mean you'll get into a national, and you probably need to. We do have the the career team. So the career team is like you can see right now for all the Taiwanese athlete like Zhou Tianchen, their T-shirts right in front of them. There's a Chinese on it. That's our career teams, which is they pay the salary to us and we train, and they're gonna have the contract with the athlete. So that's a second win. The second win you gotta have the career team want to have the contract with you. Then you have more opportunity to get into the national because the career team can support you everything, and you have a better uh, coach, better training environments, and then like the feel all the things that you don't need to worry about. And then they pay you for the tournament experience, those kind of stuff. You gotta have that kind of environment and to be able to perform very well in the national tournaments at the A level. And when you got into the national tournaments, you might gonna be the top six in the national tournament, and you will be able to like have a more chance be able to get into the national teams. And it's really challenging for me at the time because I need to think about okay, right now I'm a, I'm a teammate, and then I got a high school tournaments champion in doubles, but it doesn't mean the career team will like you, you know. So I. When I was grade eleven, still not there until the grade twelve, the last year, the last year, and almost close to a summer that year. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I do it. And now, of course, at the start of this podcast, Jeff did mention that you were a former Taiwanese national team athlete, so you obviously achieved that result, and you achieved it in in, in summer in year twelve, or which is incredible. And in terms of you know, that result in itself, would you consider that as your most fondest achievement as a badminton athlete? Or is there something else that you think is most memorable? The most memorable right now, or like Henry said before? Just in your entire badminton. I would say the most memorable is when, for me, for myself, is when I played Taipei Open. And my family had the opportunity to go there to watch me to play. That's, I think, for myself. But if you say the results, the results would be Canada Open, the bronze medal. That's, I think, is for me, would be for myself and would be the second memorable. But I feel Taipei Open is much better for me. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that because, of course, your parents would have been supporting you the whole way, even though they weren't staying with you and you were away from home. So to play in front of them, especially at home, must have been a really, really special thing for you. Yeah, you see, like, because when I high school, I trained not in my hometown, right? So I'm not stayed at home and I trained for myself. My family, my parents is my biggest, biggest supports and my two sisters as well. They're biggest support they give me everything i wanted and it just 
like pushed me so hard and then they believe me. That's the most important. Yeah. They believe me that I will make it because you see, they also can see it, you know, like only three years and every single day I have phone call with my dad. Hey, no matter what, just push yourself and then believe yourself. You can make it and we trust you. So that, that's the things I remember one day because in the, the first year of high school, I didn't get any result actually. Right. So one day that's impact me a lot. My day called me after I lost the games. He said, no matter what, 21-0 or that you win the games, no matter what, we all love you. That's the biggest power. So at the moment I know, okay, there's something supported. So I just like push so hard and try to make it happen. That's the reason right now, if the students have the doubts to like not competent to make things happen for that, I also become their parents, you know, like trust them and then to help them as well. So that, that also impact me when I coach students. Yeah. That's really important for me. If my family can watch me to play the tournament. That's why I say, Henry, like, that's my most memorable for myself. Yeah. Yeah. It really sounds like you, them having your back, just having that support and having your back at all situations, no matter what the result. And I'm sure that you bring that to your coaching now, where even if your, your player doesn't play well or something like that, you still got their back. You're still there to support them. And, and as an athlete, of course, that is so, so, so important. Now, just a quick word from our sponsors. The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Volant was first born out of our frustration with the confusing, bright, and unsightly clothes and equipment that we saw in the badminton world. But now, it's so much more than that. Our mission is to accelerate the growth of badminton by providing players with products that enhance their love for the sport. All in all, it's high quality gear that makes you look and feel great on and off the court. So make sure you check us out at volantbadminton.com and follow us on our socials at Volant Badminton. So now you did some great things as an athlete. You started late. You were able to get into the national team, bronze medal at Canada Open, play in front of your parents. And then with your professional career, then you stop playing competitively. So my question is, when was that that you decided to stop playing professionally? And why did you decide to stop at that time? That's a good question. That's a good question. So I stopped in 2012. I started in 2012. Here's the thing, though. This is a big story I want to uh, share to your listener. At the moment, it happened to many athletes. And I learned the lessons from that as well. At the moment, I really frustrated. That year, 2012, I didn't like, you know, like play very well in the national team and even in international. And uh, I'm kind of really frustrated. And my dad had a stroke at the moment in that year. So it's kind of like life and then your personal dream, you start to mix them together. But look at the back right now, at the moment, I need to detach that, I would say, you not attach both things together. So that's why I stopped. And I'm, I was so lost. I totally lost with the direction because my dad had a stroke. I think, but it's not really related to 
the dreams that I achieve, actually, right now when I look at it back. So that's why right now I'm still in the badminton like industry, all the things like that. And I lost, I was thinking about what I'm going to do next. I didn't know where's my next win. I only know there's one sound, like the feeling in my mind is like, there's some potential I haven't reached yet. So that's the things I start, okay, what about go to North America to see what happened? The first year I came to Vancouver, Canada, I didn't be able to speak one sentence of English. <laughs> like couldn't be able to speak it. That, yeah, so so that's a transition. That's it. Back to uh, Jeff, your questions is I stopped. It's because I lost. But right now, if I look at it back, I think if I detach that, I think I will keep playing. Right now, in my age in Taiwan, at this age, the only one person who you guys still can see, watch him play, the Joe, my friends, like Joe Tianchen, he still, he still play. That's only one guy in my age right now, this year, only the last guy. If he retire, then our this age in, in our this year in Taiwan, everyone is gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the second, I'm a, I'm a second one. Yeah, oh, and what a guy though, Joe Tianchen. Amazing player. He pushed so hard though. Like I still remember every single, every single day we were in the national team and he always, always train more, just train more. And then we do multi together. Like I was doubles player, but when we train like extra, we do, you know, like, Hey, Joey, can you feed shoutouts to me? Or Hey, Al, you can shout out to me that's uh, every single day you can watch like joe he pushed so hard and uh, the most powerful i think people didn't see those high performance athletes is they willing to learn do you know like even me is the same they we always looking for the answer and uh, if you compete with someone who is really high the level is higher than us after the match Sometimes we'll just go to them and to ask some feedback, get some advice. That's how we learn from when I was an athlete. That's how I learned from. And then you also can see Cho always like this. Like I remember we went to one, uh, let me see, that tournament is Japan. I, I think it's Japan. And he was competing with the current guy. Right now he's very old though. Like Li Xiong. Li Xiong. Yeah. Li Xiong. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, the lefty, right? Yeah, yeah, Livernell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Joe lost to him for, I think it's two sets, and it's very fast. At the time, Joe is still, like, going, right? And he just, I don't know, I don't know how, how they communicate, but they just, Joe just went to him and then say, hey, like, any advice? That's a way. He went to our coach first and then, and then went to the, so I think that's, everyone can do that. If you're a listener, you're an athlete, you, you really got to learn this. Yeah. Look, it really speaks volumes about the type of person Cho is yeah. and, and the type of athletes that do want to grow and do ask those questions, especially against someone that they just immediately lost to as well. So yeah, kudos to Cho. And perhaps maybe one day, Al, we can get you to bring Cho on and you can do some translation and we can do a podcast with him as well because uh, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will because couple like last week i was talking to him like you know like 
how's the, the tournaments because he's ready for Olympic, right? And got to really focus on what he does right now. And then uh, for the podcast, I've mentioned to him for anything like if I went to go back to Taiwan, maybe we're going we're gonna to do something like podcast together. But I'll bring him up for sure for you guys because I think his mission also want to bring this sports to share to the world. And Cho, he can speak a little bit English though, but I can definitely help. Now that would be fantastic. And I'm sure all the listeners would really appreciate to hear just based on what you've said as well, the kind of guy that he is. And if he's like you, Alan, as friendly and as forthcoming with information as you, I'm sure all the listeners would love to hear from him. And maybe you can, like Henry said, you can co-host or you can be on to, to help us with that. <laughs> that would be fantastic. So Al, we have spoken quite a long time about the badminton side, which is fantastic because we do want to look at how you grew up and developed as a badminton player. And obviously all the things that you learned in the sport and competing and getting through all the barriers that you did has helped you in other parts of your life as well. So I want to go on to your, basically your entrepreneurship and it, by the sound of it, you really do enjoy business and entrepreneurship with the three businesses that you have. So yeah. what are those businesses? Okay. So it's interesting. The reason I get into a business is I think my dad is entrepreneur as well. And for me, entrepreneur and the sports, they are two biggest competitive worlds, like in the world, like the industry is most competitive. Yeah, the sports become a high performance athlete and the entrepreneur is the same. And it's the same game. Just the things that you do is different. The mindset got to be the same. Always the high performance, right? So the three business I built it up when I came to Vancouver here, I started with badminton coaching. That's how I get started. I started with the badminton coaching and then coach some schools teams and have some students. After that, I, I think, okay, there's some gap in North America because really like here, it's not a big sport in North America. It's not a big sport. But the thing is, you can still see a lot of people playing, but why the exposure is not that big enough. So I decided to do something else. I built this company and then we start to deliver the coaching programs and then deliver like to community center schools and all the Bampton centers. So right now we coordinate all the, the Bampton centers, the coaches, and uh, we send the coaches to community centers, Bampton centers, schools. That's why I spent one year to collect all the data from the schools. Why you don't teach schools like Bampton schools. And I click those data. I was like, kind of like salesman, you know, I knocked the door. I say, principal, give me the opportunity. Let me show you what the sports looks like. I went to all the schools and then I say, I'm offer you for free, no problem. And then I'll, I will stay in the schools for eight hours. And I just teach from kindergarten to grade sevens. All their PE class is mine. At the moment, I didn't know how to do it actually, because I'm, I'm not a PE teacher. The way you talk to a student is different the way you talk to an athlete, <laughs> right? And the English is my second language, man. So that's kind of like a challenge, but I say, no, that's a commitment I got to do because that's the biggest problems here. And that's why I think yesterday here 
in Vancouver. Then yesterday, I, I mentioned to Thomas, Bampton family, we're going to do something uh, for this as well to fill it out a gap in North America. The reason that I collect the data is one thing, because all the teachers, they may be, they're also from North America, right? They study in the, from Canada, like everything is like this. And then the culture, what they learn, there's no badminton as well, maybe a little bit. And like probably is a backyard sport, right? So the thing is, they don't have the confidence to do it. It doesn't mean they don't want to do it because I'm schools, I need to provide what I know. So I just asked them what resource you need. They need the resource. For those listeners, I would say in North America, is like if you have a resource can help schools teachers, they definitely will take it. They will take it. So that's how I start to offer the resource, what you need. Oh, a curriculum? Okay, I'll, I'll do it. And BWF, they do a really good job. I think the shuttle time is pretty good. However, not exposure enough. So need someone to take the action and exposure. So I, I was using a little bit because at the time I'm not certified from the shuttle time. So I use a little bit curriculum in shuttle time, but not all of them. I also use my skills to teach those kids. So that's how I get started my first business. And then to have the students and the membership and those kind of stuff. My mission is I, I want to build up the bridge between Asia and uh, North America, build that bridge together to exposure to sports. That's one mission that I want to have. That's my first business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. And, and really glad that you were able to expand and, and talk to our community about that because that's really exciting. And it just really shows your character, Al, and your your ability to persevere and really go after what you want. And, and I love that you were essentially offering your time for free to coach these children eight hours a day. And of course, probably I don't know if you had the intention that it would become a business at the time. Perhaps that was just your mission and you wanted to you wanted to be that bridge and you, you would do anything, anything possible just to achieve that. When you were doing that, going to the schools, collecting the data, in the back of your head, were you thinking from a business standpoint or were you purely thinking about that mission of yours, which we are so aligned with and we think is 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 incredible that you did that? So in business, it's about market, right? The more market that you have, the more everyone can benefit, right? Badminton centers, coaches, there's more opportunity. That means more money will come in. That's a market. So how are you going to expand the market? You got to let people know, right? You got to get attention first. Yeah, money follow attention. Right now, badminton's less attention than other sports. Then everyone will get into this uh, industry will, will struggling, right? So that's the things I look at that. Oh, there's a 90% market. They don't even know the sport, how the business gonna gonna survive for that, right? In North America. So that's why I say, okay, if these people, they know it, they'll be different, right? You see 90% if they know the sports and they have more, 40% or even only 30% that get interested in these sports. You have 30% growth in this market, right? So that's how I, how I see this in the standpoint. Yeah, fantastic. It is, it is that numbers game. And it's not like we have to make everyone a badminton player. It's 
giving them an yeah. opportunity to be a badminton player. It's, yeah. it's a very different thing, right? So exposing them and then letting them make that choice. But some people don't even know that's a choice. So we just want to make sure <laughs> they know that that is a choice and it's an awesome sport to get involved in. I feel like this episode, it wasn't planned for two episodes, but I feel like it's probably going to be a two episode kind of kind of thing here because we've only covered one of the businesses that that you're involved with. So let's go to the next one. We might split this one up into two, but okay. what's the next? So there's the coaching side. So bridging that gap between Asia and North America in terms of badminton knowledge and, and curriculum for schools and, and exposure to of badminton to the school level and getting people involved early. But what is the next business? So my next business is media. So you guys, I, I want you guys see how MBA goes so exposure. NBA so go exposure because when they get started, um, the president went to the China, connect with all the media company and start to ask them to educate the market what is NBA and basketball. That's how it works. And then, so I decided to do the media. The reason I do in the media, it's all about B2B, like business to business, because we need to create the environment that can have more entrepreneur get in in these sports. So the entrepreneur get more into these sports, which means the sponsor and the ads, the revenue you generate. The sport could be the platform that help entrepreneur to make money as well. You can see MBA, that's all entrepreneurs over there. You know, like, right? They invest in the teams. That's how the sports, they can get so exposure. So I think that's why I started to build out the, all the marketing for all the business. Podcasts. We create a podcast for the business as well. And I do the TV show and then I start to run all my channels, something like that. So that's how I look. This media is going to help not only for the business, but can help the sport, our sport industry as well. Yeah. So if we talk about media and I guess your your background as a, as a badminton player, we didn't really touch on, I guess, your more educational side of the things. So in terms of media and going down that sort of media pathway, is that something that you had previous experience in? Or is this one of those one of those moments where you go, ah, oh, Al, what should I do next? Oh, I'm going to chase after this. I'm going to go create a media company and let's just figure it out and do that. Or, or yeah, how did you sort of sort of go down that pathway? I'm kind of really interested in marketing at the moment. Like they not when I was an athlete, and then you see you go to you go to a tournament, international or national, you all see the board, you all see the sponsor, like where is go? Like that's all the money comes in. So I'm just curious, like how sponsors works. How does sponsors works? Sponsors works, they want to sponsor you, want to get exposure. The more exposure you have, the more sponsor you will get, right? Yeah. So that's the only thing I, I, I see the media. And I'm really interested in this. So I start to looking forward my mentor, which is uh, later I'll mention the Grand Cardone. I started looking for any mentoring business. They do really good in marketing and sales and how they works. So I started learning from the top entrepreneur to give some standpoint, how they see this and have some advice for them because I have an idea and then to see how I can fine tune that. And that's how I get started. That's how I get, but it's all based on learning. It's all based on learning. Like it's the same thing. It's like sport. If you want to get better, you got to find a good coach. 
So when I get into the business world, I need to find a mentor who have done that, not just only because it's not talk to talk, right? We walk to walk. So you can only learn, you learn so many things while you're doing it. The, the rest is theory, but then you, you learn so much in implementation and yeah. all, the, all the things that come up along the way. So yeah. with the media company, so what is the primary, the primary focus of the media company? So if you were, if this was the elevator pitch and I got into an elevator with you and said, Al, what does your media company do in 30 seconds or less? What would you say that your media company does? So we help all the business to pack all the stories, pack it out that your business to omnipresent. So you will happen in, in the market at the same time. And then the people will know your story. People, you'll know your service and you will drive more traffic. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, about a company's ability to, to convey their brand message or their brand story or their identity through your media company, which will help kind of bring out the stories of the company and then so that they can share it with everyone and everyone can understand what they do as a company. Yeah. So like right now we do have the clients that we help them to do one year old marketing, but the way we do marketing is do modern marketing strategy. So we shoot a video for them and then we cut the short videos to all the social medias and we help them to manage everything and create contents for that. And the more importantly is we can build help each business to create their own podcast. If they don't have the podcaster, we can help them to do it. So each business, you do have your own show. The reason I'm doing this is because I believe business owner have the story and story sells. So if we, people can know your story, then we can build up the trust very easy because that's a way you can communicate with your potential clients. And people want to know why you build this business. So they will start to know your product. Yeah, that's great, Al. And in terms of the your clients, are they global or are you just in Vancouver at the moment? For media? For media, yeah. For media, we can offer it globally. Like podcasts, we can set up globally. If any company want to have the their own show, we build up the brand, we offer the podcaster, we help them create a content. We, we just do everything for them. They don't need to worry about anything. We help them to serve from in the beginning to set up all the process to the end. So for all those listeners out there, they want to start their own podcast just like us, make sure you you check out our, what Al's doing. We will leave his business name or all three of his business names in the description so you can check those out as well. Okay, Al, so... That's business number two. We won't we won't spend too much time on each business. So we're going to be here for for a few episodes. Let let's move on to business number three, and then perhaps we can round it all back to some potential questions that Jeff and I might have as well. Okay, so the business number three is uh, I'm the Green Cardon licensee, which is we do the sales training and marketing training for the business and to help the business to grow their revenue thirty percent under ninety days. And Green Cardone is the top 10 influencer in the world entrepreneur. So he is the world-class sales trainer and he's an international speaker as well. So, and he's my mentor. So I decided to use his training platform and the content to help more small business and even big business because a lot of 
big business use their training platform to train their sales teams and marketing as well. Yeah, so that's why my third business. And the, eventually, why I do these three business, my goal is I want to create a franchise for the badminton industry. They have a radio, they have the media, they have the sales marketing, and they do have the, the badminton programs over there. So if they have a 3D platform, imagine this, you pack everything together. I want to help all the players. They put so much work in their athlete and then be able to run their own business and use this uh, business model to start and make money after they retired from the athlete. That's my mission. Yep. So, so the, the three businesses that you have, they're not just randomly selected three businesses. They, they, the reason why you chose them, so the badminton and the media, and then the, the sales and marketing and, and training in sales and marketing is so that, so that you can offer all three of them. So someone coming up and, and learning badminton has, has this kind of abundance of knowledge and, and pathway for them to make money and also develop their yeah. badminton skills. Is that right? Yeah. So I would say you see there's three entities, but in badminton, I'm a badminton guy, right? I'm a badminton athlete. So, so for the franchise, if I pack everything together, that's a business model. And the business model, I want to like uh, do the franchise and to help more athletes to can start to their entrepreneur stuff. And we can help them to train their sales marketing and then to, to go from there. So Al, we've just listened to all three businesses that you were involved with. And I don't know how much time you have in your day. It seems like a lot more than everyone else because you get so much done. And speaking of time, we have been speaking for a long time already about your badminton journey, about all the things you've overcome, and now about your businesses and what you're doing for badminton in your businesses, because obviously badminton is something you're still very, very fond and passionate about. So what we're going to do here is we are going to finish up this episode and then for the very next episode, we're going to continue this conversation with you, Al, and I can't wait till we release that one. So all listeners out there, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Badminton Podcast with Al Lau as our guest and tune in next week for our next one. Get excited. Bye. So from Henry and I at the Badminton Podcast, Thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you've enjoyed it or found it useful, be sure to share it with your family, friends, teammates, and someone outside your badminton circle too, because with your help, we can show the world how incredible badminton is. To keep up to date with new episodes and who we're interviewing next, make sure you connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at The Badminton Podcast and on Twitter at The Badminton Pod. Feel free to contact us and ask any questions, give us feedback or request topics for future episodes. We love hearing from you. And remember to check out and shop for your simple and minimalist badminton gear at volantwear.com. Catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.